Welcome to the official unofficial podcast dedicated to Eastern Washington athletics. This is the Eagles Power Hour, an affiliate member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. Introducing your hosts, standing at a staggering 5 foot 10 inches tall. He's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's just that idiot who thinks it's a great idea to paint his chest in 10 degree weather for an Eastern Washington football game. Now, based out of Houston, Texas, Kyler Neal. The other host is a local firefighter. He saves kittens by day. Talks EWU sports by night. He is six foot two without heels and has a vertical of 32 inches. Based out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yours and my favorite Eagles Power Hour host, Rusty Kramer. Without further ado, here it is the greatest podcast in the big sky the Red Turf Repping Eagles Power Hour. Eagles Nation. This is the Eagles Power Hour. I'm your host, as always, Kyler Neal. With me, my co-host, Rusty Kramer, in his brand new studio, which looks, you know, pretty impressive. It's a nice bare room. It's got great wooden floors, um, some black sheets on the wall or something like that. But, Rusty, man, how are you doing in your new studio? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. So, it's a work in progress right now, right? So, uh uh, we just got done doing the flooring in this room, going from carpet to uh, hardwood floor laminate. And uh, uh, that's that's a process. And my wife wants to do the whole house. But I tell you what, after this one room, I'm like thinking, let's just let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Let's pump the brakes. And so when I got moved in this new room, right, there's this echo, which I'm just not used to, like being in a room that's full of like soft things like a bed, you know, carpet or whatnot. And so I got some like moving blankets. It's really like pretty awesome right now <laughs> put them on the walls but it's a work in progress we're getting there no man it'll be nice look and look at how dedicated you are actually creating a full studio just for the eagles power i'm pretty sure you know that you could have used that room for maybe future kids or uh craft room for your wife and you said no i gotta create a studio for the eagles power hour yeah that's not exactly how the conversation went i mean We'll but hey, listen, I'm, I'm I'm feeling a phone call from Amazon saying that they would like our services. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, I, I've, I've put in my resume about 12 times now saying, um, you know, <laughs> please hire Eagles Power Hour. We we prefer sponsorships of all kind. Um, yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. So let's just break down what we're going to be talking about in the episode today. So there is some breaking news out of Weber State. Um, then we are going to talk about hero sports is doing big sky week so they have their big sky rankings and then guess what guys we are going to talk about the offense eastern washington's offense what they're bringing back who they lost um and an outlook to see how good or maybe not good eastern washington's offense can be this next upcoming season granted hopefully we all have a season to even watch some of eastern washington's offense but yeah do you just want to dive in and talk about that you know breaking news out of weber state yeah, let's get right into it. I mean, the the big news the big news for this offseason for Weber State was Jake Constantine transferring to Towson. Um, Who's that? Well, yeah, exactly, right. But it, you know, even bigger news is that they they possibly found their replacement. Uh, I mean, their most uh, veteran quarterback going into the season was Caden Jenks, but now they have a potential 
uh, absolute threat with Randall Johnson. He's a 6'5 quarterback from Middle Tennessee uh, where he red, redshirted. He'll be a junior and he's immediately eligible to play. Uh, he plays some Juco ball at Reedley College in California. And Juco ball in California, man, it's no joke. And this is actually the same Juco where Josh Allen, uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback, I don't know if you heard of him, uh, played some ball. But uh, just looking at some of Randall Johnson's numbers, his sophomore season, he played 11 games, threw for over 2,800 yards, 28 touchdowns, had eight interceptions, uh, 62 uh, percentage as far as efficiency goes. And he rushed for almost 800 yards and had 14 rushing touchdowns. So this guy, I mean, he's he has the arm, he has the legs. And I, I did watch some tape on him. And this could be potentially uh, the missing piece for Weber State that's going to put him over the top because, I mean, we saw how successful and even with the amount of people voting, Weber State is the favorite to win the Big Sky going into the season, and they don't even have like truly. I mean, a quarterback. I mean, their starting quarterback just transferred. So, if they're able to get an individual like a Randall Johnson, and he's able to perform at the level that people are thinking he's able to perform, this could be a deadly combination for Weber State. So, when you've seen Randall Johnson, did you say you watched some of his film? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it was more like highlights and whatnot, but you still take a lot away from just looking at that type of film. Uh, I mean, he had an absolute cannon. He was able to move and keep plays alive. Uh, he He's absolutely got like, a, he's a fast quarterback without a doubt. Okay. So, And he's big. What did you say, 6'5"? How many pounds? 6'5". I'm not sure how much he weighs, okay. but I mean, just, I mean, he looks every bit of 6'5". He wasn't lanky by any means, man. He had a pretty good frame. Ideal quarterback size when you think of it. So so if he's fast, he's got an ideal quarterback size, you know, in my head, because I haven't seen him play. I actually, I don't have a good analogy of who he looks like or anything like that. But in my head, I'm picturing fast, big, um, Cam Newton stylish. You know, of course, that might not be the case. And I, of course, he's probably not as talented as Cam Newton. But anytime you have a team like Weber State, who is, for one, you're bringing back everyone. Your offense is not complex. You're running a lot. You're doing a lot of short slant passes, stuff like that. Um, having a quarterback that is potentially more talented than your current starter, um, like this guy is potentially, I mean, I, I don't think this makes Weber State any worse. If anything, this probably makes them a little bit better than when they had their starter, Jake Constantine. And guess what, guys? They have dominated the big sky the last three years. You know, they're they're averaging seven and one seasons. Last year, they made it to the semifinals. Losing Jake Constantine, losing your quarterback is normally a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing with Weber State going forward. So, yeah, I mean, good for Weber State. Hopefully, you know, Eastern Washington can play them. Um, it is at Roost this year. So, you know, we'll get to welcome him on the Inferno. And, you know, I might get to say, suck it, Middle Tennessee. But we'll see. <laughs> I don't know what do you, what do you want me to do with that. All right. I mean, some, sometimes you just can't respond to something I say. You just got to roll with it or Fair ignore enough. it. You know, I don't know. It's, it's Something happens when I talk, when I ramble, and shit goes down. Fair enough. Uh, and also, I mean... Kind of switching topics here. Uh, this week is Hero Sports Breakdown in the Big Sky, and they went over preseason rankings, uh, kind of a preseason outlook of the Big Sky. And just let me go over the preseason rankings of how Hero Sports kind of uh, laid out the Big Sky. They had Weber State at number one, Montana, Montana State, Eastern, Sac State, UC Davis, 
Portland State, Idaho, Cal Poly, Northern Arizona, Idaho State, Northern Colorado, and Southern Utah. Okay. I, I think that's solid. I mean, it, it aligns pretty similar with what you and I went over this last podcast. Um, I mean, we had the f- top four teams the same in all four of ours, a slightly different order. Um, and then, you know, the bottom of the biggest guy, it, it's like, who cares? You could place them anywhere and, you know, shoot dice. One of them will land at the bottom. Um, one of them slightly better than the others, but no one knows. It, it's really the middle of the pack that I think is interesting this year. So the middle of the pack, let's start with even five. So you have Eastern Washington on there. Then you have Sac State. Then it went UC Davis, Idaho, Portland State, or Portland State, Idaho? Portland State, Idaho. Okay. So I think that middle of the pack is interesting. And even though I don't consider Eastern in the middle of the pack, I'm going to say they're middle of the pack for just this this type of a conversation. I personally think Idaho will be slightly better than they were last year. They return a lot of their weapons um, defensively, and they're, they were a good defensive team last year. And then now they don't have the locker room drama of having Mason Peetling in. Um, not Mason Peetling, Mason Petrino. <laughs> you know what? Idaho probably could have used Mason Peetling. Hey, shout out Mason. Um, the, the bad Mason. Idaho doesn't have the bad Mason coming in. Uh, sorry, the other Mason. Man, I'm just dogging on everyone today. Suck at Middle Tennessee. You suck, Mason. Not Mason Peetling. You're awesome. But Mason Petrino, you know, there was a lot of locker room drama with the whole Idaho team regarding who should be the quarterback. Should it be Mason? Should it be Colt? Should it be... Um, there's like four different quarterback names. Now having him graduate, that probably frees up a little bit of the locker room drama. They can focus on who their true quarterback is going to be moving forward. I think Idaho is going to continue to get slightly better every single year. I don't anticipate them being a 3-5 and five team every single year. I think Idaho will be better than UC Davis next year. I think they will be better than Portland State next year. Um, so even though it's in the middle tier and it's only moving them up a couple spots, I'm going to move Idaho up a couple spots. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely trending, you know, upwards the past, you know, couple seasons without a doubt. And I would say it, you, you kind of could break out the big sky into three different tiers. The first tier and the second tier are pretty close to each other. And then it drops off pretty significantly to that last and final tier with, you know, your Idaho State, Northern Colorado and Southern Utah. Uh, it, I mean, with those top four teams with uh, Weber State, Montana, Montana State and Eastern, you can't. Uh, I think that's kind of what everybody's going off of right now. There's really no argument with those four top teams. Uh, you can move around those three top teams in multiple different orders. And, and I think everybody can make a pretty fair argument for those. For sure. Um, I was listening to the R&R podcast today and, you know, Ryan and Ryan, they were, they, they made a little conversation. They're like, hey, do you think we can beat Eastern Washington this year? And, you know, both of them were pretty confident. They were both like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, because they both think Montana State should be easily the number one team. Um, I think we match up pretty well with Montana State. So, Rusty, you and I need to come up with a bet. You know, R&R podcast, Eagles Power Hour, let's duke it out. Let's come up with a bet because Montana State, as good as they are, and I think they are good. I think they're continuing to get better as a program. Um, Jeff Choate is doing it the right way. He's building a program. He's not, you know, utilizing just tons of transfers and then you have to replenish them. He is building a defensive team, a run-heavy team, a team that can go deep in the playoffs. So I love everything Montana State's doing. It's just I don't think stylistically they actually match up very well with us. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think we need to come up with a bet. So I'm putting you on the spot, Rusty. What bet are we throwing out there to the R&R podcast? 
Oh gosh! Uh, I know what I, I mean. Let me let me ramble a little bit while I think of a bet. But let, <laughs> I just want to say, I mean, I had Montana State in my preseason ranking going into the season. I think they're going to be a very challenging team. But that being said, Montana State is coming to Eastern to play. That that Eastern plays totally different on the road than they do at home. And uh, I think they're going to have their hands full with what we have returning, especially at the quarterback position and which we'll get into later uh, this episode. But as far as a bet goes, I don't know, man, I might have to think about that a little bit more. Uh, Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Maybe we get some Eagles power hour koozies like you were mentioning before. And uh, whoever wins has to purchase a set of um, the other team's koozies or something like that. You oh, know. I like that. That's yeah. a good. That that's good. I like that. So we'll we'll, listen, we'll hear back from R and R and see what they think. I mean, we gotta per, you know first make the koozies. They already have theirs on on standby, but <laughs> we're a little bit behind at the Eagles Power Hour. You know, just like our stadium fundraising compared to theirs. You know, we're a little bit behind, but we're making our way up. Um, but yeah, man. I overall, I think Hero Sports does a good job. Um, I. I mean, a lot of their, their reasonings behind their rankings, I can see. I think the Big Sky is in an interesting place because last year we had so many returning returning quarterbacks. You know, the Big Sky was pretty stacked in terms of um, who's returning offensively, where this year it's like really only Eastern Washington has a known at quarterback. Um, you know, you have Case Cook is gone. You have Jacob Dimp gone. You have Dalton Sneed gone. You have whatever the hell Montana State was doing gone. And then, you know, then you have Kevin Thompson. He just left. Um, Jake Mayer. Like, the quarterback situation in the Big Sky is interesting this next year. So it'll be exciting to see what happens. Uh, But overall, I think Hero Sports does a good job with their ranking. You know, I think the bottom tier is the bottom tier. I think Idaho State will be the worst team. I don't really believe in Portland State as much as Hero Sports does. Every year they talk about how how great their recruiting class is and how Portland state's on the come up. And I just don't see it, especially when you play at Hillsborough high, you know, it's, I I don't see it from Portland state. I think they should probably think about just dropping their football program altogether, (laughs) but maybe that'll be another episode um, (laughs) in the future. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) before we get on to uh, hero sports preseason outlook, and talk about a little bit hashtag team dark horse. Uh, you did mention a name that I do want to talk about because it was pretty big news. Uh, I believe what yesterday or two days ago with Kevin Thompson. Obviously, he went to the transfer portal uh, from Sacramento State, which was obviously a preseason favorite, preseason top ten until he left, and that kind of shook things up a little bit. But some news came out. Some big news came out that he found his home. He found his school. The product that was originally from Auburn, Washington is going to play for UW. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So at first when it was announced, he's transferred and committed to UW. I I was, you know, kind of scratching my head. I thought he was going to go FBS, but I thought he was going to maybe go like San Diego state, Fresno, something around there. Uh, But yeah, I was scratching my head at first on why UW would want to sign Kevin Thompson. And it's not anything wrong with Kevin Thompson. He's he's a great quarterback. He had a phenomenal year. If you're transferring, this was the year to do it. You were the runner-up of the Walter Payton Award, you know, voting. Um, but yeah, I was scratching my head until I started doing more digging. UW's QB room is so young. They're, they're pretty much all sophomores and freshmen. They have the number one quarterback in the nation as a commit for next year's class. So my guess is 
that that kid can probably start. It's the Heward nephew, you know, Brock Heward, um, some of those Washington or Puyallup where I grew grew up, the Puyallup local heroes, you know, the NFL star Brock Heward. Uh, but it's his nephew, and he's the number one pro quarterback in the country coming in the class of 2021. My guess is they're going to want to start him as a freshman. He has that potential. So why not piss off your young quarterbacks, give them an opportunity to start just to take it away? Why not bring in a, a 42-year-old transfer that comes in um, and really you know shows them some locker room maturity because he is 42, he has seven kids, and... You know, I think Kevin Thompson is is a perfect fit for what they're going to do. They need a quarterback for next year only. They don't want to piss off these young guys by making them start just to take away their starter because they have Sam Heward coming in, you know, uh, next year. So I get why they did it. It it makes sense once you kind of evaluate and look at the roster of UW. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I think it does make sense. And just looking at it from Kevin Thompson's perspective, and this is just Rusty's take. uh, Listen, his stock isn't going to get any higher off this past season. And he's going into his his final season of playing unless he extends it some way way again. But uh, here's the deal is... He's playing at the highest level you can at the collegiate level. I mean, he's playing against some Pac-12 schools. Uh, he's there to compete, and that's just as a quarterback. I mean, I, I, in my mind, he probably has zero doubt in his mind that he's going to be a starter for that team. I will say it's going to be very tough with the offseason that we've had uh, to go in there. I mean, it's June, right? Late June, and he— he's transferring to UW and to kind of build that chemistry with the wide receivers, the tight end, learn the offense. I mean, there's, there's a quite a bit uh, to take in there, but uh, I mean, it makes sense. The more that I thought about it, I was very surprised when the news broke. I, I, UW wasn't in my thought process when I was thinking transfer for Kevin Thompson, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to, to watch him. Yeah. Um, when the news broke out, there was a couple of people like texting me and stuff and they're like, what the hell? And then one person came they, they came up with a fact, and I don't know if it's true or not. I didn't do any digging, but they're like, I guess it makes sense. The backup quarterback for UW has a career ne- negative 16 yards. <laughs> it was something like that. So um, I think Kevin Thompson, he I think he can start um, just because the locker room is so young at UW right now. Kevin Thompson, he's old. He's mature. He's he's getting better. Um, he's, he's definitely coachable. Troy Taylor showed him that. You know, he's coachable, and I think he can put UW in some situations to win. Um, some games, I think you double have a little bit of a down season, um, you know, replacing Jacob Eason, who is an NFL quarterback. Um, but yeah, for one year in between Jacob Eason and then Sam Heward, I don't think it's a bad pick. I think, I think Kevin probably made the right move. Yeah, I, I agree. So to kind of get back on track here, uh, with the hero sports. So they also put out another article this week. It was the preseason outlook for the big sky. So as their favorite, they had Weber. I mean, I'm fine with that. Threats, they had Montana, Montana State, and Sac State. Uh, I mean, Sac State, when they said that, I'm assuming more so due to their schedule. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It, it, just looking at their schedule, I mean, there's going to be not very many games that are just, you know, that I think they're going to be truly challenged. Uh, they're returning a lot of their talent that we've talked about in previous episodes. So, do you have any problems with those threats with Montana, Montana State, or Sac State? No, I think I think the Big Sky Champ will go probably seven and one. I'm looking at all of these teams, and I can see every single team with the potential to be seven and one. I mean, six and two, seven and one. I think that's best case scenario for all of the teams. I don't think anyone's going undefeated. 
um, in the Big Sky this next year. So I think those are legit title contenders. I think e- any one of them could be a title contending team. I mean, we saw up until the very last week of the Big Sky this last year, there was five teams that had a chance to you know win the Big Sky title up on the last week. Eastern Washington finished fifth in conference. That last week, we still had a shot to win it. It was, you know, some crazy things would have had to happen, but we still had a shot to win it. So I think having four teams in the title race for any type of Big Sky preseason outlook is is a safe bet, especially when you have Weber, Montana State, Montana, um, and then Sac State definitely due to their schedule. They only play one of those top five teams, and that's Montana this next year. Other than that, they play a whole bunch of mediocre to, you know, bottom feeder teams, so... I think that's fair to have those four at least as title contenders. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. But uh, the next two is where things get a little hairy, I guess you could say. Uh, so for, they had a portion where they called dark horses. Uh, they had EWU, Eastern is a, a dark horse, and UC Davis. So when I saw that, uh, I replied back to Sam Herder on uh, Twitter. I just wrote, hashtag uh, team dark horse just more joking right and that had a little flare-up of tweets from multiple individuals uh, from eastern fan base and other fan bases which i thought was funny but to me when you talk dark horses and whatnot it's really your definition of what are you what do you mean by calling someone a dark horse and i think of a dark horse team i think of last year sac state they kind of just came out of nowhere and surprised you uh that's not what i would label ewu is in Rusty's opinion, is a dark horse. Uh, I wasn't upset by it. I wasn't like, it, it, I was like, okay, that's their definition of what they're kind of calling a dark horse is in Eastern fits that criteria for them. Yeah. So I listened to their podcast and, you know, Sam Herter's definition was it's a team I think could win, you know, the big sky, but a team that most people don't think will. And I get that. I agree with that definition too, but at the same time, it is weird calling Eastern Washington a dark horse. You know, we have won, six of the last 10 big sky championships we've only been one way one win away from winning you know seven potentially eight big sky championships out of the last 10 years we are only a year removed from going to the national championship we had a chance to win the big sky last year you know if things fell into the part so i just don't see how you consider someone who has dominated the conference this much just a dark horse and not a title contender because they've had one down year where even their down year, they went 6-2 and two in the conference, just like Montana State and Montana. Like, guess what? We we had the same record as them. If we made the playoffs, I think we could have, you know, depending on where we're at, we could have been a quarterfinal team. Eastern Washington has the playmakers to really, you know, do well in the playoffs. So I just, yeah, I, I get their definition of it. I don't agree with it. I don't think you can call someone really a dark horse who's been that dominant. I agree with you. It should go to like a UC Davis who in 2018, no one expected them to be, you know, a big sky title contending team. And they, they won the big sky. They shared it with us. That is a team that I consider to be a dark horse. It's a team that really, you would be shocked if they won the big sky, they have a chance, but you would be shocked. No one's going to be shocked if Eastern Washington wins the big sky, not Sam Herter, not Brian McLaughlin, not Montana fans. No one would be shocked if Eastern Washington won the big sky. Are they the favorites to win it? No, but not one player, not one person who is an FCS fan by any means would be shocked if Eastern Washington won the big sky. So I don't think we should be considered a dark horse. We should be more of a title contender until we figure out what's going on. Plus, like you mentioned earlier, the home schedule, the home field advantage. Eastern Washington plays really well at home. 
all of our tough games are at home. We don't go on the road to a tough team. UC Davis is our toughest team on the road. I get they're their dark horse, but you know what? They're still a three and five team, and then they lost their quarterback. I don't anticipate them being that much better. So we'll see, uh, but I'm not offended by dark horse, but maybe it sounds like I am, but um, I just don't, I can't envision Eastern even being called a dark horse until we have multiple seasons of being down. Well, if you're not offended by Dark Horse, I think you're going to be offended by this next one. Yes. So, best offense, uh, Hero Sports had Montana. And their reasoning was mostly based off the of skill position players returning in the offensive line. They're bringing back three starters. And I just want to say that Montana was number four last season uh, in Big Sky, averaging about 440 yards per a game. Number four. And they just lost their starting quarterback, Guess what? Eastern Washington is returning their starting quarterback. They're returning uh, pretty much all their wide receivers besides Jason Williams. And they were number one in the big sky in total offense. And guess what? Daddy was number one in offense last year in total offense. And guess what? The year before that, Eastern was number one in total offense. Uh, so to me, it's it, the way I look at this, it's just kind of you can't doubt uh, or hold down, you know, Eastern with what they've done as of late. And it's kind of like looking at North Dakota, uh, North Dakota State, I should say. I mean, you have no doubt, like, if they lose a lot of their offensive linemen, in your mind, like, these have a history of re, you know, reloading that offensive line because they, I mean, they do it year in and year out. I mean, you, you can't doubt North Dakota State. And, and in my mind, you can't really doubt Eastern Washington's offense because we've proven year in, year out that we're able to uh, put up ridiculous numbers on the offensive side of the ball. So this is the only one that I was really scratching my head with on and that I completely disagreed on. Yeah, you're right. I am offended. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, man, I I don't, I don't get it. So Eastern Washington last year, number one total offense, like you said, in not the big sky in the FCS, number one total offense. Then you have Eastern Washington, the number two scoring offense in the FCS. We return our wide receivers. We return our quarterback we, we do lose some linemen. I get it. Um, I have a weird take that, you know, we'll talk about later in the episode that may make you scratch your head a little bit, but I think it, it's going to work out in Eastern Washington's favor. And yes, we, we lose a running back. We'll talk about that too. Um, but we return a, a, a lot of depth at those positions. So, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it. But yeah, I don't, I don't get how you can say Montana is going to have a better better offense than Eastern Washington. I think Montana is definitely not going to have a better offense in terms of at the end of the year, the stats, uh, maybe in some games, I think they have more explosive weapons. I think that would be a fair assumption, you know, Toure and, um, Akim. I think you can say that they are the most explosive one, two duo for wide receivers in probably the FCS right now. Um, I think that would be a fair argument, but in terms of, Hey, who has the best offense until you prove it, you, this is one of those things you just have to give to Eastern. This is not one of those things where it's like, hey, this team might, they might be able to be Eastern. Eastern Washington, if you look up total offenses in all decade, we are like number one, number two. You know, Sam Houston State had us beat one year. That was about it. Um, you know, we have been the top dog um, in total offense for a majority of the decade, and I don't see that changing this year, man. Um, our offensive coordinator's coming back. We don't have to relearn a system. And we'll talk about our playmakers. We've got some playmakers coming back. So, yeah, I, I'm a little offended by that one. And to me, that's just bad research. Yeah. 
batteries. I like it. I uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. If you try to argue Montana is the best offense, I mean just just stop because there's gonna be stats and facts, like Kyler said on Twitter, that are gonna be coming back your way. With that being said, they close out the preseason outlook with Weber State. I have no complaints. I doubt you will have any complaints on this either. No. Um, yeah, I, I think Weber State's going to be tough. Man, Jay Hill, until he goes away, Weber State is going to be a title contending team, a big sky title contending team. I still think they lack something that a Montana and Eastern Washington does when you're going against some of the top tier teams in the other conferences. Um, I don't think Weber State can be as competitive versus North Dakota State as an Eastern or a Montana can. Um, but in terms of who's going to potentially win the Big Sky, you know, I would I would put money on Weber State every year until Jay Hill leaves. He's building that team just just good. They're they're aggressive. They're physical. That defense is no joke. Um, and they get up for games, which is exciting. You know, they they know the Big Sky. Jay Hill. They, they play some of their best football against Eastern Washington the last couple of years when, when they've had Jay Hill. He has figured out our offense better than probably any team. We've, we've struggled versus Weber State. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I don't have any issues with that. I think that's smart. And when I was saying bad research, I'm just giving Hero Sports a hard time. They actually do a lot of amazing research, guys. But, um, yeah, I'm just not buying the offensive thing. You know, that one, I'll, I'll punch Sam Herter in the face and buy a shirt that says Sam Herter hates my team. But... I'm uh, joking again, Sam. We all love you. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know what you want me to do. with Again, that was another one where you just ramble and we go. Yeah, hey, so we've been talking a lot about Big Sky and Big Sky teams. It, this is a way too early prediction, but just, just for fun. How many teams from the Big Sky do you got going to the playoffs? Man, um, I would say... Well, what, what's what's the over under? Are, are do you think the over under is four? Ooh, yeah, I that's see that's a tough one because I, I think four is is the correct answer, right? Uh, I think there are gonna be four teams that are going from the Big Sky going to, ooh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I, yeah, I would say four teams that are so, going to the playoffs. So here's the thing: um, last year we technically had five, even though North Dakota was not considered a Big Sky team. Um, you know, they went to the playoffs, but they played a full Big Sky schedule. Here, here's the thing when you're looking at these schedules, Montana has an easy out-of-conference schedule besides their FBS opponent. Montana State, not a hard out-of-conference schedule um, from what I am from what I remember. I, I don't know for sure. Sac State has a very easy FCS schedule. Weber State, they're going to go to the playoffs. That leaves Eastern Washington. I think Eastern Washington will be able to go to the playoffs too. Um, I think, you know, we do play Montana State, Montana, and Weber, but they're all at home. I, I would imagine since we play so good at home, we will at least go two and one versus those teams. You know, maybe maybe it doesn't happen. We definitely have to win those games if we want a spot. I actually think the Big Sky can potentially get five this year, and it's because it is so it's so random with the out of conference schedule of the both Montana schools. They should you know go two and one, and then if they go six yeah. and two in conference, which they should, they probably each should go six and two. They're that good. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some weird three-way ties. They can even go seven and one. Um, I just, yeah, man, I looking at the schedules in the top tier of the big sky, I think four is, four is probably minimum unless some crazy crap happens, but I can see five teams in the big sky going to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, I could absolutely see. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. I, 
Four is my guess, but I, I could absolutely see uh, five teams getting in. And those five teams are, I mean, the big sky, man. I mean, even we are talking about like the amount of quarterbacks returning, or let me say the lack of amount of quarterbacks returning, It all these teams are still super competitive. I mean, the big sky, I would say, is the number two conference uh, in FCS football. Well, what, what's crazy about this year is, so there is uncertainty at the quarterback position. But what there's not uncertainty at is pretty much the wide receiver position. Everyone is bringing back pretty much all of their weapons, which makes it a lot easier for a new quarterback to come into a system when you have your, you know, weapons who already know the playbook, they know the routes, uh, they can help the quarterback. So it's, when you're looking at it in that terms, you're like, man, every new quarterback is going to have seasoned veteran, really skilled players alongside of them. That's going to help. I mean, we saw that with Gage Gubrud. He was a walk-on. He had Kendrick Bourne, Shaq Hill, and Cooper Cup. He set an FCS record. When you have, now, of course, Gage Gubridge is a stud. You know, he proved that the three years he, he was at Eastern, he's a stud. But having decorated wide receiver corps is going to help any type of new quarterback coming in. And that's what I think is, is kind of exciting about this year. There's uncertainty at the quarterback position, but man, there's a lot of returning playmakers on pretty much every team. So these teams can potentially pick up right where they left off. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's kind of a good transition looking into uh, Eastern's offense. Do you want to roll into that? Yeah, so we're just going to roll right into, yeah, Eastern Washington's offense. Let's talk a little bit about who they lose because that is a a big discussion. Um, You know, good thing is they didn't lose anyone at quarterback position. I would say definitely the positions that we have to worry the most about is we lost a thousand yard running back. You know, we lost Custer Jr. He's a stud. You could put him anywhere. He would break out for, you know, pretty much any play. You know, we saw him receiving in the backfield. We saw him running. That dude was a stud. So we lose a thousand yard running back. And then we lose a lot on the offensive line. Do you want to talk about some of those names? Yeah, I mean, obviously Spencer Blackburn, Caleb Lavio, Will Graham, and Chris, I always mess up his last name, Shitling. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are, I mean, those are guys that are, they're veterans on the offensive line. And, and when you think of, you know, kind of protecting the quarterback, I mean, uh, Eric Berry was sacked 30 times this past season and he was obviously beat up. He, he was out majority of the sack state game that obviously hurt, but that, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I mean, the offensive line is the biggest focal point of what we lost this past season. Uh, at the wide receiver position, we lost Dre Dorton, uh, you know, and Jason Williams, who did a lot of the small things that are not really noticed uh, when you look at statistics and whatnot. But I think without a doubt, when you see the big glaring thing that's, you know, staring right back at you, and that, that's the offensive line. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you hit everything on the head, and then we lost Jace Gilder, um, you know, our tight end. Uh, but that's about what we lost on offense. So you could say probably five starters on offense. So we're returning about six, um, six-ish. Um, you know, of course, the good thing with Eastern is we have a lot of players that split reps. So even though someone's a starter, sometimes they're only starting 55% of the time. You know, it, it is a little bit of a, a difference. You know, it's not much of a difference. It's not a lot of difference makers. But that's who we lose uh, but what we gain back, I think, is actually kind of exciting this next year. So, obviously, let's break down the quarterback position. We'll break down quarterback, then running back, then wide receiver, tight end, O-line. You know, that's how we'll go if you're all right with that. 
Yeah, and let's talk about the offensive coordinator as well uh, at yeah, the end. Perfect. So um, obviously we return Eric Berrier. You know he's he's a senior this year. He's six foot, two hundred pounds. Um, he is eleven and zero at home. He last year had you know forty two hundred yards total yards, thirty nine touchdowns, only four interceptions. Um, he's an absolute beast. He hasn't thrown a pick I think in his like two hundred and thirty attempts, which everyone is giving Trey Lance a lot of props. You know, he didn't throw a pick in 280 attempts. Eric Berrier could potentially do that with, you know, a couple more games on the season like Trey Lance had, uh, which that would be a little interesting. But, yeah, I mean, this dude's a stud. He is the third highest rated recruit in Eastern Washington history by, you know, 247. Um, This dude is a playmaker. He's probably the most athletic quarterback we've ever had. You know, you, you can say Vernon Adams is up there too, but in terms of pure athleticism, I don't think there's another one that really touches Eric Berrier. He's got a cannon for an arm. Um, he's got legs. He's he's a beast. The only thing I think he needs to work on a little bit is his accuracy. And it's the good thing about his accuracy is he still doesn't force throws. He doesn't force throws into bad coverage. You know, his accuracy is just, if there's an open guy, sometimes I'm going to throw it a little short, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, I will take 59% accuracy with only four interceptions over 65 and like 15 picks like Dalton Snead or whatever that was. I'll, I'll take the kid who's not turning the ball over as much. You know, that puts your team into better positions, even if it's punting. You know, that that's a field position type of battle. So I, I like what Eric Berrier is doing. I have zero question marks at the quarterback position. He is still going to be not just the best in the big sky, but one of the best in the FCS. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves, but there's a couple of things uh, going into the season that we have to do for Eric Berry, and he has to do for himself as well. And one is protect yourself, protect yourself. Like I said, he had 30 sacks last season. He was absolutely, I mean, there was games like the Sacramento State game, like I was referencing earlier, we got absolutely beat up and we had to have the backup quarterback come in. Uh, And Protect yourself isn't necessarily just at the offensive line. That has to do with scheme. That has to do with uh, the type of play plays that we're calling and also just him being smart when it comes to like, hey, sometimes I just got to throw it away versus, you know, taking it for five or six yards or whatnot. And, uh, and something else, I was watching the Montana uh, Eastern game again today and uh, something that I noticed that, that Montana got pressure early on Eric Berrier and for the second quarter and the third quarter, he, I mean, he just wasn't going for it with all his reads. He was just kind of looking at one read and then he was either taking off and running or kind of just throwing it away or throwing it at the wide receiver's feet. And that's, I mean, again, I mean, there's very small things that you could kind of point out with Eric Berry, man. He's, he is one of the best quarterbacks at the FCS level without a doubt. But I mean, that's, that's really what I got on him. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see what he does this senior year. I really am. I think this dude's a stud. Um, I think he could go down as, you know, one of Eastern Washington's better quarterbacks. Of course, it's going to be hard to beat Vernon Adams' numbers. You know, if he stayed another year, he would have been easily a 13,000-yard quarterback. But um, Eric Berry is a stud, man. I got zero question marks at the quarterback position, and that's not a lot of, you know, that the big sky, a lot of teams can't say that this year. So that's exciting to me. Um, let's, let's break down the running back position a little bit because we did lose Custer, like we said earlier. He's a 1,000-yard back. Uh but here's who, who do you think the two starters or, you know, one of the starters will be? Let's, yeah. I, there's I, no, there's no roster that's updated with starters yet. This is Rusty and I, we're kind of guessing who's the starters are going to be until everything is, you know, listed properly. 
Yeah, I, I, to me, I think it's kind of so, okay. I think it's kind of easy to kind of point out who's going to get the majority of the touches. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, splitting uh, of, uh, of carries between the running backs versus the, the amount of touches. I mean, Custer had 195 attempts last season. He was averaging 6.3 yards per a carry. I don't think we're going to see that this coming season. I think uh, Silas uh, Pereira, uh, the local talent, uh, he's going to be going into the sophomore year. He had 57 touches last season with 255 yards. And Pierce, obviously, going into a senior season. He only had 20 touches at 177 yards. But can't forget that Dennis Merritt's coming back. He's listed as a running back. But with that being said, I think he's going to be spread around quite a bit. Uh, I don't think he's going to be used primarily as a running back. I think we kind of all know that just from what we've seen of him in the past. But that's kind of my take on this. I think we're going to see the carries or the touches split up quite a bit. Uh, It's going to be kind of a running back by committee type of offense. Yeah, I think this is going to resemble a lot of 2018. Of course, we had, you know, Sam McPherson, who was our lead back. Then you had Custer Jr., you know, but he didn't play every game because he was banged up. But then you had Dennis Merritt and, and guess what? Dennis Merritt was a young guy. Now he's a senior. I think he will be our primarily used back, but I do think it's going to be a lot of split. So we, we differ a little bit there. And, and here's my reasoning. He throughout his career averaged 7.8 yards of carry. So that's, that's awesome. Let's, let's just clap for that one. But then he was also the starter last year versus UW before he, you know, got into his injury where he missed the full season. He was already on pace to be last year's backup and split time with Custer once Custer was healthy. So I think Dennis will be our primarily used back or running back. But I, again, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of running backs touching the ball. Um, you know, our primarily used running back may only see the field 40% of the time, but that could be the bulk of the carries. I'm not positive. Um, but he is a, a, you know, shorter, fast running back. He reminds me a lot of, you know, Custer. He can, he has breakout speed, but he also doesn't mind getting a little physical, but then, yeah, I think Tamaric Pierce, he's going to be another kid that we got to look out for. He is more of our bowling ball type running back. You know, he's our tank. Um, if you need three yards, he's getting you three yards. If, if Eric Barrier is struggling, throwing the ball, let's say versus Weber state, um, I would feel very confident just giving the ball to Pierce on a third and three give it to him. He averaged 6.3 yards per carry. You know, he redshirted last year after a knee injury from 2018. Um, so he still wasn't fully healthy last year. Our running backs were really banged up last year with Dennis Merritt and Tameric Pierce out. So I think those are going to be the two primary backs. And then, like you said, Silas, he's definitely going to get some playing time. I also think Micah Smith. I think Micah Smith is going to get some playing time too. Uh, he's a recruit I was pretty excited about a couple years ago. You know, he's six foot 190. I think he's packing on a little more pounds than Silas Perea. You know, he's probably about 215 now. Um, and he was a freshman there. Micah Smith and Silas were both freshmen last year and they're going to be sophomore. Um, I, I actually really like our running back core. Um, and then you also have a kid who I'm really high on and I think he can be a true freshman and get some snaps, you know, and, and that's going to be Justice Jackson. We saw what he looked like in the, in the locker room, man. Um, he has been weight training once he got his commitment or signed in December, he was a scrawny kid two months. It looked like, well, I think he did say he packed on 15 pounds and that was 15 pounds of pure muscle, man. I would not be shocked to see him at 190 coming in, you know, as a freshman. Um, he has speed. He has athleticism, man. I love the running back group that we have this coming year. 
and hero sports you know they're like oh they lost their thousand yard back we did but we returned players who who were doing big things for us in 2018 before their injuries um who didn't play last year because of injuries i like our running back group a lot yeah with i'm glad you hit on justin jackson i had him highlighted i wanted to mention him because I will say when we saw his original picture and then we saw that kind of updated when he was basically just like he gained like 20 pounds of muscles. I feel like I got like catfished. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is a <laughs> totally different guy. It's, this is even the same cat right here. No, I, I'm extremely excited. When we look at this signing class in regards to like who has the potential to make kind of an immediate impact or play right away. He's kind of at the top of my list potentially. I mean, looking at the running back core, like you were saying, like, I'm very excited about this running back core from top to bottom because I think a lot of these guys bring a lot of different kind of skill sets to the table. They're not all like, you know, just running north to south type of running backs. They all present like kind of different attributes. And I think that makes Eastern more deadly because they can kind of open up their packages of different types of plays that they want to call with uh, a Dennis Merritt, with uh, a Pierce. And I'm pretty excited to see how that plays out. Let's go ahead and make a transition to our wide receiver core of kind of what we have coming back this year and what to be excited for. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go and take this, Kyler. Yeah, so so like you said earlier, we lose Jason Williams. We lose um, Dorton. But what we bring back, I think, is still, and this is going to sound weird for me saying this, I think this is our most athletic group of wide receivers we've ever had. Um, I really do think that. Now, I'm not saying they are better than Cooper Cup and company. You know, I'm not saying athleticism leads to greatness. I think it helps. Um, and if we can figure out a couple things, I am really excited for our wide receiver group. You know, obviously Eastern Washington will sometimes run four or five wide receivers, uh, but our two starters, I, I believe that are going to be coming back. We have Redshirt Jr. Andrew Boston. He was an All-American freshman. You know, he was 13 big sky last year with 730 yards, six touchdowns. He's going to be the leader on this team. He's 6'3", 185, 190 pounds. He's, you know, he's athletic. He can jump. He's a good size wide receiver, not overly tall, but still fast. He is going to be our primary guy moving forward in this next year. Then you also have Lemu Jones, who I'm pretty sure Eric Berrier, that's his, that's his favorite guy. You know, it seems like he was talking a lot about him on, um, I think one interview I saw, you know, he's like, oh, Lemu Jones, he's, he's my guy. You know, he's 6'5", 220. You, who doesn't want that as a wide receiver going into the year? You know, he is our big target wide receiver. Um, he had 577 yards, seven touchdowns last year. And everything I've seen online, it seems like he's even improving on the offseason. He's getting bigger. He's getting faster. So he's going to be a redshirt senior. So I already like our starters. We have size for our wide receivers. Those are going to be my nightmare matchups for a lot of teams as long as they, you know, hold on to the ball. But then what we have is really exciting with some of these younger kids. And, you know, we have Freddie Robertson. I think that dude is an absolute stud. I think Anthony Stell is an absolute stud. These kids should see playing time. And then we can't forget, we have Johnny Edwards, who's probably our fastest wide receiver um, that we've had in a long time. You know, maybe Simba is up there too. Simba Webster and Johnny Edwards. But I think Johnny's faster than Simba. So we have Johnny will probably be our third wide receiver. And then you have Freddie Roberson and Anthony Stell. This wide receiver core is nasty. I really do think it's nasty and it's super underrated and underappreciated for maybe not even, even probably the common Eastern fans. Um, I would say the diehards know what we're getting, 
everyone else probably doesn't and i'm super excited to see you know who who's going to be lining up because we're going to be mixing it up a lot i bet you all of these players see significant playing time on the year and i'm i'm excited to see what they could do and a lot of them are young that's the exciting part uh we're not going to lose that much going forward after this year yeah, I mean, I just want to emphasize, I mean, we're talking about the quarterback position, the running backs, and now we're on wide receivers and every positional group so far, I mean, the absolute studs at the position. And not really, to me, not one of those positions am I worried about. And when you're looking at Andrew Boston, Limo Jones, Jones, uh, a 6'3 wide receiver and a 6'5 wide receiver on both sides. And these are tall, athletic wide receivers that know how to use their bodies. I mean, they're going to be absolute threats that defenses are just going to have to uh, plan for by themselves. And you're able to pl- plug in a Johnny Edwards, uh, a Freddie Robinson. I mean, it's, I truly believe, man, we're just going to cause a lot of defenses, a lot of problems in this upcoming season. Yeah. I mean, we were fairly young last year in wide receiver. Um, we've been fairly young the last couple of years. You know, we haven't had that, I would say a really senior leader, you know, since Simba Webster left. Uh, Jason Williams was probably the senior leader last year, but it, it is weird when, you know, he wasn't the number one wide receiver. You want the number one wide receiver to be your leader. You know, you want Cooper cup. Um, and I think Andrew Boston is going to finally fill that leadership role. He is still young, but now he's had, you know, three years of being pretty much an all American or, you know, two years, my bad, two years of being pretty much an all American. Um, he's going to come in as a redshirt junior. He's been in the system a while. He knows the offense. I think he's going to be the leader on offense this year. Um, and I'm excited to see something like that. But yeah, man, we have everything from speed to size. I Across the board, I really like this wide receiver core. Yeah, without a doubt, you can't help. I mean, you have to be just absolutely excited to see this offense uh, perform this upcoming season. And let's just go ahead and roll into our, our tight ends. And obviously we lost Jace Gilder uh, this season. He had 292 receiving yards on three touchdowns. We had him come on the podcast and absolutely outstanding awesome. man. Yeah. Talking to as well. And uh, one of the names that I'm pretty excited about, and it was a name that he mentioned as well is Dylan Ingram. He's a six, five, 245 pound tight end. I mean, that is uh, absolute, you know, when you think of a tight end, that's the body type that you think of. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to, so Eastern Washington in the last couple of years have been running a, a lot of two tight end formations. Um, and I think we're going to see that a lot again. When I look at Dylan, I think he's going to be primarily used as our blocking tight end. I think he is going to be a beast. He's going to help the running game. Um, but I'm excited to see someone with that size on the end of our line, you know, potentially hitting any linebacker coming in in the end. Um, he's got size to really contain and help that part of the line, but he's athletic too. But I think he's going to be used as primarily a blocking tight end. And then the other guy I'm excited, and we used him, you know, as a true freshman. And then we utilized the redshirt rule, but we saw Blake Gobble. Or is it Gobble, Gobble, Gobble? But hey, we're going to call you Gobble like a turkey, Blake. And I am sorry, but he's going to be a redshirt freshman this next year. He's 6'6", 220. He is going to be our red zone threat. Eastern Washington doesn't utilize tight ends as much in the regular field or the open field as they do in the red zone. In the red zone, we become a two-headed tight end monster. And I think with having someone like Dylan, who is going to be a great blocking tight end, he's physical, he's big. And then you have someone like Blake, who's 6'6", 220. He can jump up, he can get the ball. 
um man i'm excited to see what these tight ends can do in the in the red zone i really am um we we had jace gilder on he was awesome it was a big loss he loved getting physical he was a red zone threat but I, i'm excited about what we have coming back on tight end i for sure am yeah, without a doubt. And so let's go ahead and move to the next position group, and that's the offensive line, which we talked about earlier. We, I mean, we, there's no doubt about it that we, we, we are hurt coming into the season from the offensive line. Uh, we lost the guys who had a lot of experience uh, in the past, but we are returning Tristan Taylor. I think he's obviously our most experienced offensive lineman returning. He's a 6'6", 325-pound. Uh, he played 12 games last season. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rest of the offensive line? Yeah, so so definitely this is a position where we have the most question marks. Um, we we would have had a whole bunch of linemen get experience this last year. This this last year was you know the the time to do it. But during our championship run, we had a lot of injuries, and luckily we were able to play all the way through the championship. So that was five games that a lot of our offensive line missed. So a lot of them got granted a medical redshirt. So they actually returned. This last year, we were supposed to have our most decorated O-line ever. And um, the sacks, man, we, we put up a lot of sacks. So here's the thing. Our O-line has a lot of question marks. It's going to be very young. I think you're going to have senior Connor Christ in there. I think he's going to be a starter. The other three spots, I think we're going to have to utilize a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, and they're going to be plugging in and out like I, I don't know who's going to take up those three spots um i think you know i asked one of the the great cheney locals eastern washington's biggest fan kelsey hatch who she thinks is going to be the starters and, and she put out some names and i was like i can see it um so we're probably going to be undersized online by having a lot of freshmen and, and sophomores in there um but here's my kyler neal weird take okay you guys ready drop your beers you know, drop everything you're doing. Stop eating your beef jerky if that's what you're doing. Um, let's let's listen to my weird take. Eric Barrier is not a pocket passer. Is it safe to say he's just not a pocket passer? So yeah, I think I think that's safe to say absolutely. So when we look at the beginning of last year, he was, and I don't know if this was the OC. I don't know if this was because we're like we have this amazing line. We want you to be a pocket passer. We struggled offensively moving the ball, you know, consistently when we are trying to be a pure pocket passer. What I think makes Eric Barrier great is he is so elusive in the backfield. When he's getting blissed, when, he, when you know, a defensive line's breaking through our offensive line, he's able to extend plays. And it, it almost creates chaos on the field where, you know, you have your cornerbacks that are looking, oh, this quarterback's going to try and run out. I'm going to leave my wide receiver. I'm going to go get this guy. So it creates chaos when the defensive line is rushing in there to grab Eric Barrier because he is so elusive and he scrambles better than anyone else I've ever seen. And he's fast. So I do think our offensive line will struggle. I think they'll be a little undersized this next year, but I think that's actually going to help our quarterback game because Eric Barrier is going to be scrambling for his life and he's going to be extending plays. And I think that's where it makes Eric Barrier the most threat. Cause that's when you have to realize, shoot, is he going to run or is he going to pass? And a lot of these routes we use, we we do a lot of screen routes or, you know, five, 10 yard routes. We do um, where the cornerback is close enough to the quarterback. If he thinks he's going to run, even he's going to blitz in, you know, if Eric Barrier is running on the outside, which opens up a wide receiver pop five yards, turns into 20. You know, there, there's those situations that I think we will see a lot. And I think it's be, 
going to kind of be because our O-line may be iffy. There's going to be a lot of chaos in that backfield. Yeah. I mean, I, Kyler Neal's going to take. <laughs> no, I I don't think it's too weird. I mean, I just just looking at the type of offense that we run, especially with Ian Shoemaker uh, calling, making the calls, uh, and which we'll get to him here in a moment. Uh, I, I think that's you know I think that's the only way to kind of plan to, so Airberry Barry isn't getting destroyed in the backfield, right? Because let's use his assets. He's an absolutely ridiculous uh, mobile quarterback. I mean, if you go to his Twitter, look at his tweet that's pinned. It's against Idaho. He makes a ridiculous play. He's able to scramble. He's able to extend the plays that Kyler's talking about and make a ridiculous throw. That's where he excels best. And to me, I mean, I think we're going to see, I agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. A lot more of it's going to be uh, not necessarily him just kind of scrambling and extending plays, but it's going to be planned uh, uh, plays where he's going to be, uh, you know, rolling out to the side. You're going to have different levels of wide receivers that he could hit. But I will say, and maybe this is a far reach, but I mean, this is a question from Kelsey. Uh, Wyatt Hansen is another you know, uh, individual, uh, a true freshman that I could see possibly getting some playing time. And, and the only reason that I say that is just, I watched some tape of him today. I mean, he's a 6'5", 280 pounds. He's a three-star. They called him big fundamental uh, in high school. And that's the only reason they called him that because his technique was, you know, that was his primary asset. But I watched some tape of him and he's an absolute bully at the line of scrimmage, man. He was just throwing guys around and I greatly enjoyed watching that offensive line tape. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a far reach, but just looking at the situation that we have right now with our offensive line and how young we are, how inexperienced we are at this point in time at the offensive line, this is kind of, maybe it's the perfect time to get him reps, to get him experienced because he's a very talented individual at, as of right now. So I think no matter what, we are going to see him for, for some type of place. Um, especially because we can utilize that new red shirt rule. That new red shirt rule is awesome for these young kids, you know, plug them in. Let's see how they do in week one, you know, maybe not, maybe not against Florida, you know, maybe, maybe we don't do it against Florida. Maybe week two, when our competition gets a little, little easier, let's, let's plug and play. Let's see how some of these freshmen do. If they're not ready, guess what? We can red shirt them, but it gives them experience. It gives them confidence. I think, I think he could be, you know, an immediate impact. I don't think he would be our starter, but I think he can be plugged in. I think we'll have to rotate a lot of this offensive lineman. I think we might be able to see Charlie Bowman too. I think he's he's got good size already. He's a sophomore. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who becomes the starters on offensive line. We lost a lot there yet, but I'm excited for what we have in, in the little bit of people who return. And also what you have to think about is, in 2018, when all of our linemen went down with injury, besides pretty much, I think it was maybe Tristan Taylor, and that was it, we had young linemen, and they brought us all the way to the championship game. They were playing the best football that I think I you know, saw from a line. So I think maybe it is nice having you know a different set of linemen come in there. We miss the people who leave, but um, I'm excited for these kids to prove themselves because that's what this is. This first year will be we got to prove – we are ready to be a D1 athlete, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm excited as well, and I'm also excited to see 
uh, our offensive coordinator, Ian Shoemaker, coming in for his second year. And, uh, I mean, coming into the season, I mean, he acknowledged that he wants a balanced attack. He wants to get back to running the ball. He wants an up-tempo offense. And, uh, I mean, we're number one in the Big Sky in scoring, scoring about 40.6 points per game. Number one uh, in total offense averaging about just 524.8 yards per game. We're fourth in the Big Sky in third down conversions. Uh, we had some inconsistencies in fourth down conversion. We were ninth in the Big Sky, but in the red zone, we're absolute deadly. We're number two in the Big Sky, scoring 49 out of 55 chances. And uh, to me, uh, throughout the season, just giving an honest take and I saw some inconsistencies throughout the year in regards to just the play calling. And we've had players on, they, they, they acknowledge anytime you have a new offensive coordinator, there's going to be kind of a learning curve, getting used to uh, a, a new play caller, their new mindset or approach moving forward. But uh, I'm pretty excited to see what Ian Shoemaker has uh, coming into the second season. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, we've had, was it, was it Jason Williams that said like we had four offensive coordinators in five years, you know, that he played yeah. under or something like that, maybe even five and four years, you know, it was, it was a ridiculous amount. Um, having an offensive coordinator back for a second year, I think it's going to really fix things. We were not consistent last year on offense. You know, we were the number one offense in the country, but we weren't consistent. We would be super explosive for a quarter at a time. Then the play calling would change and it wasn't effective or someone was able to figure out our game, you know, game calling. And I think having a second-year offensive coordinator with a a quarterback returning, I think that's going to help. I'm excited to see what Shoemaker can do this year. Um, I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think that the first year is kind of working out the kinks. Uh, he understands the weapons that he has. He understands what they do great in. They understands what they, the, the areas of, if, of improvement, if you will. But uh, I think without a doubt, you're going to see the big, the best big sky offense here, right here in Cheney, Washington, without a doubt in my mind. Yep. I 100% agree. So guys, that's our offensive outlook this next year. We're going to have the best. So screw you, Montana. Um, now, we're going to ask just a couple questions from things that are posted on Twitter. Um, and then we'll end the podcast. So I'm going to pick one, then I'll let you pick one and we'll just, we'll just go there and we'll each answer it if we can, if not, whatever, but I'll, I'll go with Ryan Thornburg. He's a part of the R and R podcast. He's a Montana state guy. So he wants to hear our thoughts, um, about pretty much the financial situation at Eastern Washington and how will that affect athletics? All right, so so for one, I just got to say, Eastern Washington has been balling on a budget forever. We have used the or we've gotten the most out of the least in terms of financial than anyone I think even in the country. I think we do the most with the least. Um, obviously, this situation is even even a little tougher to bear. Uh, you know, we'll have to wait to see how it plays out with the president and voting with the board and all that stuff. But, you know, this COVID thing is, is real, man. Um, I saw an article, I think we're anticipated to lose 30% of our enrollment this coming year. I mean, if you think about enrollment 30%, let's say it's 10,000. I don't know what enrollment is anymore. You know, you're losing 30% of your, so what would that be? We have 10,000 kids instead of 13,000 or, you know, my math is not that great, but we'll just estimate. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Losing 3,000 kids, that's a lot of money. 
that Eastern Washington's losing. And guess what? All of that helps our athletics. You know, every dollar we have helps our athletics. The good thing is the way we've been fundraising the last couple years under Lynn Hickey, I think people can see promise. Now, maybe the faculty who's trying to vote Eastern Washington to stop playing sports or, you know, move down a division, um, maybe they don't see it. But our endowment has increased from like 15 million to 24 million, 25 million within a couple of years. Our funding has getting better. Our support is getting better. We saw what Spokane was doing in 2018. I don't remember Spokane doing that in 2010. I think the support for Eastern Washington is getting better, which is only going to help financially in the long run. Um, so I don't think Eastern Washington's going down a division. I really don't. I don't think we're going to be cutting sports. I think, um, this next year is going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for a couple years. We're going to have to write it out. We're really going to need our donors. Uh, but guys, we've already been doing so much with so little compared to the rest of the big sky schools that I'm not overly concerned, even though this is a bigger, more detrimental deal, you know? So, I mean, that's my thoughts. I'm nervous, but I got to wait to see how it votes out, Ryan. Yeah, so the next question that I'll take is uh, from Kelsey Hatch. Uh, Who will make a push this year for the backup spot behind Eric? And uh, to me, it's Trey Turner, without a doubt. Uh, We obviously had Gunner as the backup last season. But I think what Trey Turner brings to the table is, uh, I mean... He, he's potentially a starter in the future. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. He's definitely going to contend about it. Uh, and I looked at some of his film from his senior year. I mean, he's he's a pretty dangerous quarterback yeah. on the move as well. And I honestly think that he's more dangerous on the move, making those throws on the move. And w- when he's kind of sitting in the pocket, and again, this is just from an untrained eye uh, from Rusty. And uh, he has some inaccurate issues that he, he dealt with and we've talked about in previous podcasts but to me Trey Turner is going to be the backup quarterback going into the season and I'll say one more Chris Hammond had a question about the uh, the best Idaho quarterback products uh and you referenced Shane Jennings Keegan Thompson Lane Lars, uh, Larson Andy Peters and Bo Nelson and Shane Jennings obviously coming to Eastern signed with Eastern Keegan going to Idaho State uh Larson going to UC Davis and Andy Peterson going to Boise State and Bo Nelson going to Stanford. And I think a lot of it has to do with the type of system that quarterback is going to and uh, what that individual excels at. And looking at Shane Jennings coming to Eastern, I mean, he is, he, I mean, you couldn't draw up another perfect quarterback to come to Eastern. He's exactly what we do. Uh, we want a mobile quarterback, a dual threat quarterback who's able to throw on a run, who's able to extend plays. And uh, without a doubt, I mean, he's outstanding. And I think the other two top quarterbacks coming from Idaho, Andy Peters going to Boise State, and Bo Nelson. Uh, I mean, listen, they're both you know absolute studs when it comes to quarterback position. Both dual threats. I would say Shane Jennings is a top three quarterback without a doubt as far as quarterbacks coming from the state of Idaho. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know a lot about them besides, you know, there was, well, was it Bo who's at Stanford? Bo Nelson? Yeah. Is that the one at Stanford? Yep. So he didn't get any scholarship offers. He he only got walk-on offers, and he walked on on Stanford. I don't know what that says. He will probably never play at Stanford, to be honest. Then some of the other guys, you know, who, who got a full ride to Boise, their only other two recruits were Idaho State and Idaho. I would say that's similar to, you know, who Eastern Washington is recruiting. But I did watch game film on Shane, and I agree with everything you said. I think he fits our system a little bit better. But here's, here's the thing, and I'm going to sound like a Debbie Downer. I don't even know if Shane Jennings will ever play. 
Um, and I, I mean this because I do think Trey Turner's next. He was a true freshman last year. So they're only one year apart. And then we got a guy I'm high on. And maybe this is where you and I can have a little bit of a bet going on who will win this you know, starting job their senior year. Um, but Parker Johnson, I, I think we got two stud quarterbacks in Shane Jennings and Parker Johnson, but we also have, you know, Simon Burkett, who was one of the top Eastern Washington recruits, and he is going to be, you know, gunning for a spot. Man, I I don't know. We have a lot of young quarterbacks, and I'm not sure Shane Jennings is ever going to play, unfortunately. Um, I like Parker Johnson in this class a little bit more. He's huge. He is a dual threat, too. Um, he's, He's kind of our first NFL sized quarterback and it'd be fun to see someone like that in our system. He's 6'3, 225 already as a true freshman. It'll be fun to see someone like that in our system because we haven't. We've had a lot of little guys. Um, but man, I, I think I think we're gonna get quite a bit of quarterbacks transferring out of Eastern because I, I don't see a lot of them getting playtime. We we like to stick with one quarterback for three years, and we have six on our roster this next year. We have six yeah, quarterbacks you- and they're all young. But the cool thing about that, in my opinion, this is just purely from a competitive standpoint. Competitive standpoint. Uh, all of those individuals are going to be challenging each other day in and day out uh, in spring football and summer practice and throughout the season. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm absolutely excited. And uh, this is absolutely a topic for another day that we could continue on for, for another 30 minutes without a doubt. Yeah, I, I love what we have at that position. I think. I like what we have in Shane Jennings over all the other Idaho quarterbacks because I do think he fits our system more. But in terms of, I don't think he's, and I hate saying this, you know, already judging our young kids, but I don't think he's our best quarterback we had in our class in 2020. All right. Well, that's our offense, guys, and we answered some questions. Um, We're a little over an hour. Rusty, do you want to sign us off? Yeah, uh, so it, thanks for listening. Hey, you can find us on pretty much any podcast platform. Again, uh, please subscribe uh, and leave a comment. We do read all the comments that are left. And uh, and if you contact us on Twitter or any social media platform, we'll absolutely respond. We love uh, talking football. We love talking basically any sports. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RustyEPH and Kyler on Twitter at Kyler EPH Eagles Power Hour, right? So we decided to change it up besides these crazy names. So to kind of keep it easy, keep it simple. And you can also find us on Twitter at Eagles Power Hour or Eagles Hour, I should say. And also on Facebook at Eagles Power Hour. Just go and search on Facebook. Uh, that's all I got. I mean, hey, Team Dark out. Team Dark Horse out. Team Dark Horse. Boom. Go Eags.